No question about it. I am ready to get hurt again. I'm usually ready to get hurt consistently with this team, especially over the last three years. But I must say, I've been pleasantly surprised over the last month. Not to say that I didn't see it coming, because I did, even though people probably won't believe me. But we'll get into that in a, little, in a second. Be first, I want to welcome here my special guest. I got Spen Harris from the Fireside Nets podcast. How you doing, Spen? I'm doing great, Daniel. Nets are, are playing out of their minds lately, so how can I be doing poorly? Exactly. It's the Jock Vaughn effect. It's the Jock yeah. Vaughn effect. It's either yeah. that or, or the G League, because on Saturday, when we played against the Pacers, now, again, unless you write it on Twitter, it's not true, right? But I had a good feeling about that game, not because of any, like, statistical category, like, no reason other than I've seen it before. When somebody comes in under man, the G-Leaguers just want it more. It kind of felt like that Knicks game last year. Remember when Cam Thomas took over against the Knicks and they made that crazy comeback in February where Spike Lee got on his knees for Cam Thomas? That's what it felt like to me. And, and I was like, you know what? Cam Thomas is going to have a big game, and I think we have a chance. I didn't think we were going to win maybe, but I definitely thought that it would be a fun game to watch. And, and they came through. Like, did you watch that game? I did. I watched every second of that game. I told my wife earlier that day, the Nets are probably going to lose tonight. They're playing their backups. Everybody worth a darn on that team is, is, is not playing because uh, it was the second half of a back-to-back. Vaughn wanted to protect his guys. I totally get that. Uh, but, yeah, I, I went into that game thinking they're going to lose. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to hate it. Maybe some guys will step up. Maybe, you know, we'll see some things that we don't normally see. Uh, but I was I was pleasantly surprised that they they pulled out that win against India. Do you think it was the best win of the year? Uh, d- define the word best, because in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean a lot because most of those guys aren't playing in the playoffs. As you far as go ahead, yeah. go ahead. As as far as was it the most in, in, in joyful win? Like did, did I get the most joy out of watching a group of guys win a basketball team? Like I don't think I'm gonna have that level of of happiness for the rest of the year until we win significant playoff games. But as far as like the best win of the year, up to this point, I guess sure. <laughs> okay, so I, I get what you're saying because if I had to go with the best win, I, I would maybe say the win in Portland. Portland was a, a top team at that time. It was a close game. Um, we won off that. I think it was a Royce O'Neal putback, if I'm correct, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was that so, was the game. So, I, and I think that that was like a turning point, right? We got our ass kicked by Sacramento. I think the next week and uh, the next game, and then we just started reeling off a bunch of wins. But the reason I think that this game is bigger than what other people are given like credit for, because everybody, everybody's like, you know, it was an awesome game. It was a fun game, but that's about it. I think the fact that we won without KD and everybody else. Not just for the fan base, but for KD. Because you remember that press conference. He was like, you know, we lost a million games in a row. And everybody was like, yeah, but don't worry. When KD comes back, we'll get, we'll write the ship. And he's like, but I, I don't want to see that shit. Like, you guys got to win without me. Like, we won without you. And like, in, with nobody. So I felt like that went a long way in showing that, I don't want to say culture, right? Because that's it's overused. But I felt like this team and the chemistry is building in Jock Vaughn. Is, is doing something because that, that had a lot of coaching involved, I would assume, for you to pull off that win against Indiana, which was relatively healthy that game. Yeah, he's been he's been so great for this team, whether it's, you know, getting along with the superstars. That's the most important thing, right? He's got to have a good relationship with KD and Kyrie. It seems like he yep. does. Uh, him and Ben Simmons seem okay. And then also still having the faith 
of guys like Patty Mills, Markeith Morris, Dayron Sharp, guys who thought they might be playing a bigger role with this team. And up to this point in the season, I mean, those three guys have, have pretty much been been bench players. So yep. for him to, to have that command and, and sort of keep this team focused, keep, the, keep them motivated in a game like this where, let's face it, the Pacers had more talent on the court on Saturday night than the Brooklyn Nets. Hands but the Nets, the Nets had more effort. They gave more effort. They ex- ex- executed better than the Pacers, and guys wanted it more. And what I love from this game is, you know, we saw this with Blake Griffin a little bit last year when he got demoted, and eventually he came back in, and he gave, he gave a punch when he got that second opportunity. Patty mm-hmm. Mills, 24 points in 34 mm-hmm. minutes. Um, Markeith Morris, 15 points, 11 rebounds. Dayron Sharp, 20 points and 12 assists. And he was relegated back to the G League. This last week for a few games. So, like, these are three guys that had huge performances Saturday night who had something to prove. And, and, you know, it starts with the head coach, Jacques Vaughn, getting that out of them. I haven't been a Dayron Sharp believer. Have you? Because I I know a lot of people are like, oh, don't worry. We got our backup center. We got Dayron Sharp. And I'm like, "Mm, I I don't know. I I, I don't see it. I, I don't see him. He's not necessarily a rim protector. He's a big body. He can get you rebounds, but he, he's not necessarily a, a scoring threat either. So I, I've never been convinced with Dayron. Like, are you a Dayron guy? No. I, I, as far like, if you want to be a championship contender, your backup center needs to do one thing fairly well, whether that's rebound, whether that's score in the paint, whether that's be a stretch five, whether that's defend. Dayron Sharp at this point in his career does not necessarily do anything great. He does a few right. things okay. He, he's got a, he's got a decent motor. He can hit the glass. Uh, but when push comes to shove, there's a lot of guys around the league backup centers that I'll take before I take Dayron Sharp. And he's also so young. Like this is his second year. You know, last year he was sort of thrust into a position where he had to play big minutes. Um, you know, we saw him struggle out the gate this season when he when he got a little time. You, you got to give him a few years to develop. But as of right now, I'm 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 not a believer. I'm not either, and I still think we're missing that that backup center. Um, I was hoping that Nick Claxton, uh, and uh, again, people thought I'm stupid, and people still don't agree with me. I was hoping that Nick Claxton would be the backup center because I've been hoping that Ben Simmons would be the starting center. That's something that I've always wanted. I know that it sounds crazy almost because Nick Claxton has played very well this week. I mean, this year. So um, I get it. We, we're, we're figuring out how, and they're figuring it out as they go because they're both playing well, um, but I just don't like those two non-spacers on the court at the same time with KD and Kyrie. Now, the biggest thing I've taken out of the last two games, which was the win over the Wizards and against the Pacers, that we got two wins and KD in those two games has played a total of 33 minutes. Now, I think that is huge. Two wins, 33 minutes. Now, I get it. He didn't play one of the games, but exactly. That's, that's what I mean. If he can, he only played 33 minutes and we got two wins and he has like a million days off now before he has to play on Friday. Like this is what we need for Kevin Durant. We had five back-to-backs just in the month of November. We have 14 all year. I think we've already played half of them. Like we had a tough run to go to start this season. Things start to soften up a little bit. I want to say I saw that we had like the sixth or seventh softest schedule for the rest of the year. Now, I think that's that's a weird stat because there's so many games left. He's still going to play everybody again. But I think the fact that we've already gotten through so many back-to-backs, it's really favorable for us, especially if you can get two Ws and he's only playing 33 minutes. Like, 
are you concerned with the number of minutes that he's been playing? Like, I know that it's like 30 seconds less than last when he was averaging last year, but he's still like one of the league leaders. Sometimes the best answer is the most simple answer. And for the Nets, the biggest issue to start the season was health, right? A lot of guys coming back from major injuries, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Ben Simmons, TJ Warren did not play until recently. Um, Kyrie had a spell where he was out. Yeah, Ky- Kyrie had a little bit of uh, – you're right, he had his stuff. So mm-hmm. for the Nets, Kevin Durant's been playing all those minutes up to this point is, is because he's had to because they don't have the guys, right? Right. Now that TJ Warren is back, now that yeah. Ben Simmons has finally found his footing, now that Seth Curry and Joe Harris look like they have their legs under them and they're playing pretty good basketball as of late. I know Joe Harris has had uh, a few good games in a row. Seth Curry has been a little bit inconsistent. Um but you have so many guys on this team down to Cam Thomas, right? Cam Thomas is our ninth or 10th guy. Edmund Sumner, Yuta Watanabe was hurt for a little bit. He's back now. Mm-hmm. As your depth starts to get better and, and you start to get healthier, Kevin Durant does not have to shoulder as big of a load as he did in the beginning of the year. And you saw, you saw what TJ Warren, look, I look at TJ Warren, I think he's a miniature version of Kevin Durant. Okay, he's like, he's like one-fifth of Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant? One fit uh bubble TJ Warren was dangerous. I'm oh, not no, I'm not no, saying bubble. they're I'm not saying they're on the same stratosphere, but TJ right, right, Warren right. at his peak, right? What does he do? He get he gets buckets. He's a mid-range bucket getter. He can hit the three, he can he can really do anything from an offensive ISO perspective. And, and he plays pretty well off the ball. So maybe it's I because he's he, skinny fat. Because he's skinny fat. So I just assume he that he's like fat. a Paul Pierce. Right. A Paul right. Pierce or a shorter Lamarcus Aldridge, no muscle definition, but he can hit the mid-range jumper. But, but I, I get what you're saying. The midi, okay. It, it, the midi helps, man. You don't have a yeah. lot of guys on this team that can create for themselves, right? It's 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 Kyrie, it's Kevin Durant, it's mm-hmm. Seth Curry, and that's pretty much it. It's essentially TJ Warren. So TJ Cam Warren. Thomas, eh, Cam if you Thomas, give him the time. Man. But in limited action, he's not doing that. So my, my point being, I, I, I was concerned, but now that I'm seeing the way that the team is shaping out, I do still think Sean Marks has a move or two to make before the trade deadline. I'm not as worried about the Nets killing Kevin Durant minutes was. Cam Thomas. Now that you brought him up. Okay. We're going to talk Cam. It's Cam time. Yeah, it's, it's Cam time. Now, Cam, I, I like, you know when I would have loved Cam? I would have Cam back in 2018-19 with those culture Nets. I would have loved Cam Thomas because I know he would have been a bucket off the bench. He would have gotten like 25, 27 minutes from Kenny Atkinson. He never let anybody go over 30. So, you know, they're getting pulled back before 30. So I would have loved Cam in that role. I don't see how he fits with this team. Like he fits on the nights off, right? Like, like on Saturday. But I don't like if Royce O'Neal comes back, is Cam really getting 19 minutes again? I doubt it. Like Cam is one of those players that I feel bad for him because I don't really think he fits on this team. Like when people talk about trading for a backup center, I think Cam's going to be the name that, that should get tossed around because he has potential to score buckets and he doesn't really fit with us. At least I don't think so. Like, do you think Cam fits with this team? Uh, right now, like with, so here's my opinion on Cam Thomas. He is a, he's a volume heavy player or mm-hmm. meaning he needs minutes to be efficient. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, I look at like a Jordan pool, right? Even if Cam Thomas was getting Jordan pools minutes, he'd probably be a lot more effective than he is now. Problem is he plays 10 to 15 minutes a game. And I'm just, I'm just totally guessing that's it. It might be a little less. Um, but 
his his specialty is is isolation scoring. You don't need to do that when Kevin Durant and Kyrie are on the court. Like TJ Warren knows, hey, I got to defer to these guys. So 100% agree with you. If we can move Cam for for a serious stretch four, stretch five, somebody, and maybe a draft pick, that would be amazing. He was a first-round pick last year. And and right now, I think a guy like Patty Mills should be getting Cam Thomas's minutes. I think if you're going to throw Ooh. Cam Thomas in at the end of the third, beginning of the fourth, let him play 10 minutes, why not give those minutes to Patty? Because Patty is a guy who can compliment Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. He can play around the guys. He, he can hit the open three. Cam Thomas does not like to shoot three-pointers. I, th- I think he's made that abundantly clear in the beginning right. half of the season, or he's being told not to shoot. Either way, it's a guard who's not shooting threes. We already have Ben Simmons, you know. So I, I agree with you. Um, the only way Cam gets a bigger role on this team is if, you know, knock on wood, guys don't stay healthy. Now, I know, uh, I know that Cam has probably taken more threes than Patty just because he's played a little more than he has. But just going off the percentages, right now Cam is shooting 36% from three, Patty shooting 38. And as far as minutes goes, Cam's averaging 15 minutes. So he went too far off. 15 minutes when he, when he does play. Um, I like Patty. I really do. But he is so bad defensively. And, like, it, it, it's, and I think that that's the detriment to him because sometimes he gets cold. And when he gets cold, it's like, why the fuck is he on the court? Because if you're not scoring, you're definitely not defending. So what are you doing exactly? So I guess he's like spacing the floor technically just because he possibly could hit a shot. But at that point, it's like if you can't defend, your shot isn't going in. At least if Camp Thomas is getting those minutes, his shot isn't going in. He's taking it to the bucket. Right. So I think that's the difference between those two players. Camp Thomas can create, you know, a little more than Patty can because if Patty's shot isn't going in, he's not really doing much else. So I think that that would be why I would give Cam the minutes over uh, Patty. So fair points. I, I, I think it's a preference thing, right? I, I think that um, for sure. I prefer my basketball. Obviously, I'm a Nets fan, so I don't get to see this a lot. I like good ball movement. I like when the ball's on a string, it goes back and forth, you know, multiple guys touch it. I look at Patty as the guy who's able to work in that offense better than Cam. Cam yes, isn't sure. getting the ball and giving it right up, right? Cam's no. getting it. He's seeing who's defending him. He's calling for a pick and roll. He's calling off KD. He's a talented individual. You know, you, you know what? I have seen him call off KD, which I'm, to me is like, you lucky that he likes you because that's the most, And listen, that's he's got move. balls. You, you got <laughs> to have cojones to do that. So I, I that's why I would credit. like him on the culture nets. Yeah, I, yeah I, just, I look at Patty. I think, you know, he's a veteran. He's a smart player. Defensively, obviously, very minimal uh, capability there, but he, he's smart, and I, I think he's 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 a winning basketball player. He's been with the winning organization, the Spurs, forever, um, and he's the one guy who was here last year. He's seen it all, so I don't know. I, it's a preference thing. I think you can go either way. They're only getting 15 minutes a game, so it's not like like a huge deal. But I, I prefer Patty over Cam. And from everything I've heard, he's a great locker room guy, right? So I, I think that that's one of the biggest reasons they brought him back. That and, and suppose he gets along with Sean Marks, I guess, because they're both Australian, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, isn't, is new, new, Sean Marks New Zealand? Uh, from oh, New Zealand, is he from right? New Zealand? I thought he was Australian. I think so. You might be right. No, no I, I might be yeah. wrong. I, I know, I know uh, Patty and, and Ben got that in common. I thought Sean Marks might also, but I'm probably wrong. He was a New Zealand American basketball player, Sean Marks. There you go. Well, my, my, my brother, about- by the way, co-host of Fireside Nets, always calls me out for getting countries wrong. Like, always. 
Were, were you the Croatia fan or your brother? He's the Croatia fan. I okay, like Croatia. Okay. He just he loves <laughs> Croatia. Um, you were bringing up the ball movement, which I agree. I yeah. think the ball movement has been uh, spectacular. But surprisingly, I think that it's been more of a thing since Jacques Vaughn took over. And I would figure that, that that would be something that you saw when Steve Nash was under the helm because that was Steve Nash's offense with Phoenix, right? That, I mean, I know it was a seven-second offense, but they were moving the ball. They were getting it around. And once a person got an open shot, you take the shot immediately. But they were moving the ball around to get that open shot. When Jacques Vaughn came in, I felt maybe it has something to do with Ben Simmons finally getting comfortable, right? And, and it just coincided with Jacques Vaughn taking over because Ben Simmons was rusty at first. But I feel like once Jacques Vaughn took over, the ball started moving a little more. Like, do you think it was Jacques Vaughn or maybe, you know, the players just started getting a little more comfortable with Ben Simmons and, and with each other? I think one of the biggest things that gets overlooked with how great the Nets have been playing as of late. In the beginning of the year, a lot of guys didn't really know their roles. You had Joe Harris, Seth Curry trying to figure it out. Where was Edmund Sumner going to play? Yuta Watanabe was kind of an unknown. I think when Vaughn took over, net the, the players in the Nets were really able to sort of solidify their roles. And once they did that, you've seen everything else fall into place, right? When Sumner comes in, he gives him that energy. He picks his you know, opportunities to attack the rim, but for the most part, he's a complimentary player. Same with Yuta Watanabe. Yuta Watanabe knows his role on this team. If he's open for three, he's pulling. He can also take it to the rack. He, he has times where he can be aggressive. Kyrie Irving. from three. He's been one of the best three-point shooters in the league. Uh, mm-hmm. Before I get to Kyrie, same with Joe Harris, same with Seth Curry. When those guys have opportunities to attack, to shoot it, they do. When they don't, they pull it back. Kyrie Irving has done a great job of, I don't think he's shooting any less, but just making smarter decisions, getting his teammates involved. I'll give you three plays from that Wizards win the other day that I love that Kyrie made. Number one was the alley-oop to Ben Simmons. On the break, bounces it. He did not have to give that to Simmons. He easily could have laid that up, but he gave it to Simmons. He he gave him the dunk. That was awesome. The other play was him sacrificing his body and jumping into the stands and saving that ball from going out of bounds. I love that he's does pause. Does he make that play with Steve Nash as the head coach still? I don't know. It's it's kind of a an interesting question, right? Yeah, they maybe, maybe not. But I do remember he did it in the preseason, which I was like, I remember okay. I thought to myself, I was like, we're winning the fucking championship if they dive in for balls in the fucking preseason. And, you know, I was wrong at that point. But, but yes, Kyrie has been fucking playing He's been great. I, I think the third play was just another pass to Ben where he bounced it to Ben and Ben hit the reverse layup. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but, yeah, every, I think every guy has just – They've really sort of taken their role, ran with it. Nick Claxton, don't want to overlook him. He picked mm-hmm. his opportunities to basically save us in that Washington game when our offense would, would, would sort of stall out for a little bit. Claxton hits a, hits a few hooks, and all of a sudden we're back up 10. So mm-hmm. everyone I just named has been giving the, the, the Nets some great minutes, not even mentioning Royce O'Neal, who's, who's been up and down. He's probably been one of the more inconsistent players this season, but I, I still love the effort he gives you. He's a guy who you need on the team because he sets picks for KD. He gets them the ball. He can hit the occasional three. Um, and all the players that I just gave you were all the guys that sat against Indiana. And we won that game. So, like, yep. just think about that for a second. Yep. I, I, I think that's the major difference with Jacques Vaughn is guys finding their roles and and basically just playing their roles perfectly. You know what issue I have with, um, with Kyrie since you had just brought up Kyrie? Shoot, and and it's and it's and it's a me thing, maybe. I hate that at the end of every quarter, even if KD is on the court, 
Kyrie has the ball in his hand, and he's probably taking the shot. And I find that so fucking annoying. Like, give it to KD every once in a while. Like, he needs to take that last shot. And I don't understand why. And I know KD doesn't ask for it because that's not who KD is. And Kyrie, a lot of times, maybe he'll make it. But, like, come on, man. We got KD on the team. Like, give him the shot. Like, he's shooting over, like, 50 – I don't know how much it is – 55% from the from the field so far this year. And he's a jump shooter. Like, it's, it's incredible what he's doing this year. Like, I don't understand why Kyrie, Kyrie feels the need to always take the shot at the end of the quarter. I would love – it's such an abstract statistic, but I would love to know what our percentage is of when we have the ball – in our hands at the end of the quarter. Cause we always seem to have the last shot, right? In like the first through third quarters, we always, cause the other team scores with like 13, 14 seconds left and we get the ball and you're right. We always run in isolation. I'm going to tell you why I'm going to tell you why it happens because Kyrie is the king of the two for one. As soon as he sees that there's 30 seconds left, he's taking that shot real quick to make sure that they have the last shot. I promise you watch on Friday. I promise you it's going to happen. And when it happens, you're going to be like, Hey, Danny, you're right. He just did it because he oh, he's the king of the two for one. He sees that 30 seconds. Boom. Let me make sure I got at least six seconds to score again. Like that's him 100% always. And it frustrates me because I think that one, he rushes the shot and two, he takes the last shot. So it's like, I feel like it's, and you know, sometimes he makes both. So maybe it works out, but I don't know. I feel like at that point, it's a little bit of selfish. Yeah. I, I, I wish they you know, ran a play at the end of the quarter. If they're not going to give it to KD and let him isolate, I understand Kyrie Irving is one of the best ball handlers in the league. He's one of the best one-on-one scorers in the league. He's but you're right. At that, at, at that point, just run a freaking play. Run a pick and roll. Run something for him to dribble, dribble, dribble down the clock and then take, you know, an awkward jump shot with a guy who's probably taller than him in his face. I love Kyrie. He ain't Steph. That Those are Steph Curry shots. He's not the shooter Steph is. He's an extremely good shooter. He's extre- he's a great shooter, but he's not Steph. So I and again, he, Kyrie cooks in the mid range, right? That's where he lives. So if he's not getting that mid range jumper, it, it's probably not worth him taking a three to close out the quarter. Kyrie has played twenty games so far this year, so it shouldn't be too hard for me to look it up. I'm gonna look it up to see how many times he's taken the last shot at the end of the quarter. I'm gonna look All it right. up. I got, I got like, I got a week before I, can, I, I have my next episode. Watch, I'm gonna have the stats. There. I'm gonna send them to you. He, I would love that. The king of the two for one. All right, so Jock Vaughn took over. Our record what was it since he took over? Is it like, um, I had it here. I forgot what it was. But it's a lot better than it was with Steve Nash. That's for sure. Do you think it's? I know you said that it's because he gets along with the stars, which is important. Definitely important. He also has the no bullshit approach. I, everybody brought up that video, and it was apparent as hell. Kyrie called off the play. He he called Ben Simmons to come to set the pick, and then Jock was like, fuck that, timeout. And I, I love that. I love that because he's like, you know what? I probably only have this job for one year possibly, so I'm doing this shit my way. It doesn't matter, how, it doesn't matter what happens. You're probably gone after this year also. So that's how he's doing it. Would he do that to KD? Probably not, but he's doing it to Kyrie. And, and I feel like once you do that to one of the star players, everybody else falls in line. I love that Jock Vaughn, I love the way he speaks to the media. I love listening to that man talk. And I love the way he's, he's been controlling the locker room. At least I think that he's been controlling the locker room. What do you think that Jock Vaughn has brought to this team to make this change? Yeah, I think uh, the number one thing he's brought to this team is calling timeouts. <laughs> yes, yes. I think Steve Nash thought that they roll over. And he was trying to save him for the playoffs. It's such a refreshing feeling when the opposing team goes on a, I don't know, 
six or eight point run and Jacques Vaughn goes like this instead of seeing Steve Nash on the sideline being like, work through it, work through yeah. it. You guys are yeah. professionals. No, no, that was uh, <laughs> that would never end successfully. Like the Nets playing through those periods and the team would go on like a 14 to two run. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's my biggest thing is he's a very good in-game coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, you know, the timeout thing is great. I think that he's been making a lot of halftime adjustments. You saw it in that Wizards game. I think they put Ben on Kristaps in that third. And yeah, he shut down Kristaps in the second half. You didn't hear from him after, nope. after that first half. So nope. uh, I like the half halftime adjustments that Vaughn has been making. I think I saw something that he said they're using their iPads during timeouts a lot more this season, or they have them like available this season. They didn't have them last season. I don't know what that story was, but – Okay, he's he's calling timeouts, that. he's making halftime adjustments, and he's using iPads. So that's <laughs> it. <laughs> I hadn't heard about that. Uh, well, Jock Vaughn, I, I I remember after a couple games, um, a lot of people were like, ah, fuck that, we still want Ime, and and this guy isn't gonna do shit for us. And I I, I didn't understand why the why everybody was so quick to dismiss him. I, I I thought that he did well in the bubble, right? We were undermanned, and we went was seven and one in the regular season in the bubble. And then we got swept in the playoffs, but I thought he did a good job. I, I was all for giving him the shot. I mean, I wanted Udoka, like, don't get me wrong. But when I knew he wouldn't get him, I'm, I'm, let's ride with Vaughn. I, I can't see why it would be a bad thing. Um, and I'm glad that he's proved everybody, to everybody that, that you know he's capable. He's capable. He is. I, I have the article in front of me. He basically said, uh, you know, those instances that we were talking about where he calls a timeout when the team, you know, the opposing team is about to go on a run. He said he uses the iPad in those cases to show players exactly where they went wrong, giving them an opportunity to talk through plays and make adjustments um, before stepping back onto the court. So I think it sounds so simple. Okay, we're looking at an iPad and we're going over where you guys fucked up. But it's also extremely important, right? Like this is this is basketball attention to detail from great to elite teams is such a small margin. So if you can. If you can correct those mistakes in game during timeouts as opposed to letting them play through it, I, I think I think that's huge. Shout out to Jacques Vaughn for believing in technology. So it's it's kind of like the NFL then, right? So like the NFL, as soon as the <clears throat> the offense comes off the field, right away you see them on the bench with the offensive coordinator and they're looking at the iPad or the tablet, the Surface, whatever the hell they, they use, and they're showing the <clears throat> the above the field view, right? The, the all twenty two view. Look, this Correct. is what you didn't see. This is what you you're missing. And I hadn't heard that. And now that I come to think about it, I don't really see that in the NBA too much. And that probably would be beneficial to use. That's interesting. I'm glad that you brought that up. I hadn't realized that. Yeah, I just sent you the article on a private chat. It was interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's very interesting. I'm going to look that up. All right. So everybody was killing Joe Harris. Everybody was done with Joe Harris. Joe Harris is finally looking a little better. Now, while everybody's killing Joe Harris, I've been defending him because I am biased, because I am loyal, and to a fault because he was playing like shit, but I was still defending him. I thought that a good shooter doesn't forget how to shoot, and I feel like he's been picking it up. But everybody's ready to ship him out for John Collins. Now, I understand that it has a lot to do with the contracts, but if I had to choose one or the other, I'm going Joe Harris over Seth Curry. Again, my bias, probably because he's the last of the culture nets. I love Joe Harris. Maybe that's why. But I prefer Joe Harris for the bigger body, 
I mean, they both don't play very good defense, but I think Joe Harris shows more effort on defense. Um, and I know that Seth can technically create his own shot, but he doesn't take it to the rim like Joe Harris does, right? Joe Harris can finish through contact. So I prefer Joe Harris. If I tell you we're going to trade one of them away, Joe Harris or Seth Curry, spend. Who are you trading away? Joe Harris. Easy oh, for me. Easy for me. Um, no, on. listen, listen, listen. Again, this is, this is a preference thing. I'm not going to deny to you that I think overall Joe Harris is a more consistent player than Seth Curry. From a night-in, night-out standpoint, you know what you're going to expect from Joe Harris. You're not necessarily 100% sure what Seth Curry is going to give you each night. And I know that makes him a little bit more inconsistent, and I get all that. But Seth Curry's peaks are so much higher than Joe Harris's peaks. Seth Curry can drop 20 points in a quarter. If, it, if he's on that night, he gives you that luxury as a, you know, as a seventh or eighth guy where let's say KD struggling, let's say Kyrie struggling, you can run the offense around Seth and say, Hey, Seth, go get yours. See what you can do on offense. Is he a liability on defense? Yeah, probably. He, he, he's kind of a cone out there as Pat Beverly would say, but from, from the offensive standpoint, I've been watching Joe for a long time, you know, as long as he's been with the nets. Um, I've also been watching Seth from afar. And my big thing with Seth was, why has a team not snatched him up and made him an essential part of their unit, right? He was in Portland. I thought he thought he played well. He was in Dallas. I thought Dallas. he played well. He was in Philly. I thought he played well. He was, he was everywhere. And yet no team was like, hey, we want to keep you here. So once he got to the Nets, I was like, oh, my God, finally, a Curry brother, a guy who can shoot. He's, in my opinion, he's the best shooter on the team. He's better than KD. He's better than Kyrie. He's better than Joe Harris. Just from three-point range. Yeah, he has the most pure shot on the team. Um, that's just my – I mean, I, the statistics don't back that. But w- w- if I had to pick one of them to win a three-point contest better than Utah, I would pick Seth Curry. Uh, for that reason, for knowing that he can erupt like a volcano on any night, and Joe Harris is not necessarily doing that these days, I would keep Seth over Joe. Uh, you and I have to figure out a way – to get in contact with the Nets and have Joe Harris and Seth Curry have a three-point competition, and then you and I just put money on it. Because I think Joe Harris would smoke oh. Seth Curry in a three-point contest. Give it to my yeah, boy, I, Joe. I don't you know, man. Seth, you beat Seth, Steph Curry in the three-point competition. You ever hear the saying, iron sharpens iron? Who did mm-hmm. Seth Curry grow up playing with? Who did he grow up competing with? His Del dad, Curry. Dell, and his brother, Steph. Uh, Dell, right, <laughs> right. I'm not giving. I'm not giving Steph any credit. No, I, I get what you're saying. You I get what you're saying. saying. But Joe Harris <laughs> sharpened himself, and to me, he is a better shooter. I no, but, I but listen, again, yeah. I, I am 100. Yeah. percent I know because I've talked to plenty of people. I am by far and away in the minority on the Joe Harris camp. Even uh, what's this guy's name? He does um, he's from Australia. I think Jack Manuel or something like that. Yeah, Jacques be, Manuel. Yeah. He used to be a huge Joe Harris fan. Huge. Dude's ready to ship him off already. So uh, I get it. I get it. I'm in the minority, but I, I don't know. I, I still got a soft spot for him. But yep. now we're talking about Joe Harris and the, the possibility of trading more because of his contract. We got the John Collins rumors going around. Now I'm going to tell you real quick what I think about John Collins, and then I'll, I want to hear what you have to say. John Collins, I personally think, would not improve this team at all because he doesn't bring anything that we need we need rebounding he's a decent rebounder 
but he's like six eight. Like he's not a big body, and he's not gonna be playing center. He's probably gonna be playing power forward. And everybody's like, oh, but he spaces the floor. He's shooting like twenty percent from three this year. Like I know he's having an off year, but holy shit, that's off. Like twenty percent. And the reason he used to be good with Atlanta, but then Clint Capella came over. He used to run the pick and roll, pick and pop. But since Clint Capella can't do shit outside of the rolling to the rim, he took over the, the, the screening. So John Collins was left in an island with Clint Capella playing the five and then Trey Young and DeJounte Murray being the, the main go-to guys. So if he comes to the Nets, what's going to happen? He now has two screen guys that he has to play with. Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons are the ones setting the screens. Even when Kyrie and KD are starting to set screens for each other now. So we got those two are the main screeners. Then you got KD and Kyrie, which are the first two options, kind of like Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. So John Collins is going from one bad situation to the same situation in Brooklyn. So how exactly is he going to help us? I, 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 The name, I understand. When you hear a, a name of a player that you know is good, it's exciting. I get that. But in the grand scheme of things, how does he improve us? Like, Do you want John Collins on the team? If we still had James Harden and not Ben Simmons, I would say, yeah, make this trade. If you can boast a lineup of... Harden, Irving, KD, Collins, Nick Claxton, find the weakness, right? Like there, there isn't one. Yeah. But the you're right. The problem is Ben Simmons is a point guard center hybrid at this point, right? He's playing both positions when he's out there. He's a big man and he's bringing it up. So if you're Collins, Claxton's the one who's running the pick and roll. He has to be involved. He can't stretch the court. Collins, like you said, isn't necessarily a great three-point shooter. So he, he's not going to be – if he's wide open for three and he's hitting 20% of the time, that's not a good formula to succeed. Um, I'm going to look at his career average. Right? Yeah, look at his career average. I, I, love, I love his game. I think that it's one of those things where he just needs a, a change of scenery. I think he's a really talented player. Every time I've seen him play the Nets, he usually kills us. Um, do I think that they could make it work if they were able to, to get him here? I would give Jacques Vaughn the benefit of the doubt and say yes, but I don't think it's as easy as like, you know, plugging him in and all of a sudden they're great. Like, I think it would take some time. He is a guy that you're right. You'd have to figure out where he fits amongst the the other starting four of, of Simmons, Kyrie, KD, and, and Nick Claxton. Uh, for his career, he's a 36% three-point shooter. And I'm assuming that that went down really far because of the 21% he's shooting this year. Uh, right. Before this year, it was 36 the year before that, he shot 40%. The year before that, 40%. So he's not a bad three-point shooter historically. This year has been a really bad year. But he's unhappy with his role. Is he going to come here and be happy? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I, yeah. I think there are the much better reason, fits out there. I, I agree. There are much better fits. The only reason I think that maybe he would be happier here is because it's tough to be unhappy with your role and know we're probably not winning a championship. If he comes to Brooklyn, he's like, well, I got two years left on my contract. So I can sacrifice these two years. You know, I, if I win a championship with this team, which is a possibility, my value will go up just for being a champion, right? So uh, maybe that would lend itself to making him happier and, and more flexible with the role that he would play here over the one that he, similar one that he played in Atlanta. But I, I just don't see how it makes us necessarily better. Right, because everybody's complaining about rebounding and defense. He's not necessarily a great defensive player. He's improved, I've heard. Right, because I, I I took a deep dive into Atlanta. Right, so I just started listening to a bunch of Atlanta podcasts over the last couple of weeks, and everybody says the same thing. He's improved defensively. He's unhappy since Clint Capella came. He's basically not being used. So I I, I don't see where he would help us. Right? And that's kind of where I stand on that. 
Do you see a trade out there for somebody who would help us right now? I've been hearing Miles Turner forever. I, I don't see it happening, uh, but that's that's one I've, I've heard a, a bunch. Um, you know, well, and again, this is not going to happen. Okay, so I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you know who I think would be awesome on this team? Brook Lopez. Yeah, I, would I mean, he's he's happy Brooke. in Milwaukee, right? Oh, of like, course, he, of he's course. Good. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. No, no, exactly. It's not happening. It's not not a rumor. It's nothing. But when I think about his three point shooting at the five. I'm like, oh man, having Brooke Lopez would be so awesome. Uh, completely random because I know it's not possible. But um, I've heard Miles Turner. I've heard people talk about Bo Bo. I don't. I don't necessarily hate that move, but he doesn't help you as far as like he is he a great rebounder, Bo Bo? <clears throat> I, don't I don't think, think so. so. He's a guard. He's a guard, right? He he plays the the point on that team. So, uh, yeah, interesting player. You know, he could go either up or down after this season, given that this is kind of like a resurgence in, in, in his young career. Um, but no, I don't necessarily love that fit. Uh, you do have to look at teams like the Magic, the Pistons, the Pacers, the Hornets, um, you know, the bottom of the barrel in the East to see if there are pieces that we might be able to use. Uh, as of right now, though, I, I, I don't think there's, you know, a player, say, like who has John Collins' mindset, like get me the F off my team that the Nets can use right now. So moving on. Now, we don't have a center, but we're still third, the fourth in the East. We've been playing great. KD's been playing lights out. Do you think he's the MVP right now? Not right now. Okay. Uh, because we're fourth in the East. Okay. Because Kyrie's been great. Because right. Claxton has been great. Because Vaughn's been a good coach. There are a lot of things that are going against KD right now compared to Tatum. Um, compared to, uh, I guess, Luca. Yeah, well, where's where are the maps? I think Luca and KD are in very similar. Luca's barely over five hundred, I think. That's what I'm saying. So I, I, I wouldn't even go into Luca right now. I'm thinking like Giannis, Tatum, Ja. Those guys are are higher on the list than KD just because their team is is better than KD's right now. The maps are fourteen and thirteen. <laughs> the thing with Ja, and I don't know how they've been uh, this year. I haven't kept up with them, but I know last year. He missed like a million games, and they won like ninety nine percent of them. Like they were winning, like at a crazy rate without him. So I feel like that kind of diminishes his value a little bit. The Pelicans are first in the West, which makes that first loss of the season look a little better. But right. I don't know who exactly. I, I don't think is Zion the best player right there, or is it Brandon Ingram? I haven't kept up with the Pelicans either. Zion's been in and out. Ingram's been in and out. I mean, they've just been a really solid team all around. McCollum has been been having a pretty solid year uh, for them as well. If the Nets are able to catch Milwaukee or Boston and they get the one or two seed to end the year and Kevin Durant continues what he's been doing, he him it would be him and Tatum as like the top two guys to win. That's a perfect transition. Can we get the top two seeds? Oh God! Can you ask me after we play Milwaukee and Golden State? Like, <laughs> no. Here's here's the thing, right? So up to this you. point, you you were trying to t uh, talk to me about our best win, and you said right. Portland, and I yeah. I think Portland's a good team, but that's not a great win, right? Where what has Portland done with the duo of Damian Lillard, um, Jeremy, well, the trio of Jeremy Grant and uh, Anthony Simons? They haven't done much. So no, they're, fifth, they're fifth in the West right now. At, at that and, point, and they're they, young. they were the top two or three seeds, but yes, right, and, and they're an unknown. So for me. It's great that we're, you know, eight and one in our last nine. 
Um, it's awesome that we're winning games, but these are games that we should be winning. Haven't beaten Boston. We lost the game to the Lakers. Not that the Lakers are good. That was a weird game. I should have brought that up. That uh, was a weird game. That was a weird game. We lost to Milwaukee earlier in the year. We lost to Boston recently. These are games that if we want to be a top seed in the East, we have to win, right? You, you got to beat either Milwaukee or Golden State next week. You, you, can, you can lose one of those games. You can't lose both of those games because I don't care what you do against Cleveland. I don't think Cleveland's very good. Um, so, yeah, that, 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 that's my mentality. They could do it, but they have to show me that they can beat the, the, the elite echelon of teams in the East and the West before I give them the nod as a one or two seed and as a championship contender. We have Toronto on Friday, Detroit on Sunday. I, I would hope we could win those two games. So we win those two games. We're still on our streak. After that, we have December 21st, Golden State, December 23rd, Milwaukee, and December 26th, Cleveland. In, in right. Cleveland. That's the three-game stretch that you're talking about. Like We have to win two of those three. Now, yeah, yeah, I, I would like to. But also, if we can beat Golden State, I'll lose to Milwaukee and Cleveland. That's just me. I want you know to show Milwaukee. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, I was just saying, Golden State's 14 and 14. Like, they're 500 right now. They're like, they're, they're still Golden State, though. Yeah. Daniel, don't, don't, you don't, you don't, you know, this is Steph and Draymond and Clay. These guys, I don't care if they're, if they're 10 and 20. If those three guys are on the court and you have studs like Poole, Kaminga, Dante DiVincenzo's on that team. You just have a lot of bodies on that team. Like they're they're still but, a championship contender. But they've lost 14 games. Like so, so my, my point is I understand that they are, but this the teams are beating them. Like if we beat Boston, that, that is, I don't even think they've lost 10 games yet. Then I'm like, okay, we beat a team that doesn't lose. You know, if we beat Cleveland, you know, we beat a team that hasn't really lost that much. You know, we, we beat Golden State, and I mean, I, I'm not going to pull up the, the record, but I'm assuming that they've lost to some scrubs along the way to lose 14 games already out of 28. Like, they're literally 14 and 14, and I get what you're saying. It's still Golden State. It's still South Curry, and when you they play against good competition, their game's going to step up, so it's not going to be an right. easy win. But I, I, if I had to choose one of those three, I want that Milwaukee game. Yeah, yeah, of, of course, of course. We both want that Milwaukee game, right? They ended our season – uh, two years ago, right? That was the, the KD foot on the line game. Um, and the Celtics ended oh. our season last season. So these, these are the two teams. If you're a Nets fan, you want to beat on those two teams. I will say as far as the Boston loss goes from, that was the only game we lost in the, in our, in our last nine games. I liked the way the Nets played in that game. I, I thought that, I, I thought that we just needed uh, a break to go our way in that fourth quarter. And I, I, we, we didn't get it and they just went on their run to close us out. But I like the way we competed in that game. I think that this this team that's you know on this role, if we played the Celtics tomorrow, I think we probably compete a little bit better than we did in, in the loss against them. Well, we're healthier now. At that game, right. ben, uh, ben Simmons didn't play. And everybody's like, oh, but Marcus Smart didn't play. Marcus Smart isn't as important to the Boston Celtics as Ben Simmons is to the Brooklyn Nets. I believe that. I think Ben Simmons helps the ball movement. He helps the right. second unit. I think Ben Simmons is a more integral part of this team than Marcus Smart is for the Celtics. So I think that we were at a disadvantage, even though everybody's like, oh, but they canceled each other out. I don't think so. And I think we were in that game. We were playing well. But we had like two or three turnovers in a row that led to fast breaks. And the lead went from like four to like 14 in, in a couple <laughs> seconds. Like, I don't know what the hell. It got out of, our, it got out of hand. And um, I'll, I'll tell you this, Daniel, the mistake-free basketball that the Nets have been playing in this stretch 
that's also been attributing to wins, right? Not turning the ball over. We turned the ball over a lot against the Celtics, and, and that's pr- pretty much the reason why we lost. I mean, the Celtics turned – I mean, they have – I don't know if it's the best, but one of the best defenses in the league. Yeah. They force turnovers. They're, they're a great defensive team. Um, do you think – like, how, how closely did you watch Kevin Durant before he got to Brooklyn? Because I've watched him, but not closely. Yeah, I was – you know – I am a purist when it comes to basketball. So while I wasn't a Warriors fan, I watched a lot of Warriors basketball during their run. Just because if if it's, you know, 10, 10, 30, I see the Warriors are playing someone. I want to see the Steph Curry, Kevin Durant show. Same way I'll watch the, the Mavericks when Luke is playing. Same way I'll watch the Nuggets when Jokic and former net Bruce Brown are playing. Um, so I, I just like Brett. Yeah. So I, I watched a lot of KD before he got to the Nets. Okay. So you're the perfect person to ask because I, I watched him, but – if it wasn't nationally televised, I wasn't watching them. I mean, even though they were nationally televised quite a bit. Did you realize that he turns the ball over as often as he fucking does? Is it, is it because when he's so tall that it takes like three seconds for the ball to get from his hand down to the actual court that players have that advantage to, to jump on it and steal the ball from him? Because it's really frustrating to me that he gets the ball stolen from him so often. Yeah, I don't remember him doing that in Golden State as much. I, I think it's because, you know, he was he was the second or third scoring option on nights. Like, obviously, he's the best scorer on the team. But if Steph had it going, if Clay had it going, they just had so many weapons on that team. He didn't have to do the top of the key isolation, get right. double a teamed. Lot of, a lot of ball you couldn't You couldn't double team Kevin Durant. Were you going to leave Steph Curry and Clay Thompson open? So – yeah. I, I get it. I also think basketball just comes so easy to him. He's always looking at the rim, right? And if you're always looking at the rim and you're looking to score, occasionally that means that you're you're taking a little bit of attention away from your handle. And yeah. I, I, I think Kevin Durant's just so fucking good at basketball. Sometimes he forgets, like, hey, my crossover's a little bit wider than most guys. Yeah. I might get my pocket picked. Or yeah. I, I, I might, you know uh, – falling out of bounds, trying to make a cross-court pass, turn this ball over. He doesn't think like that. He's Kevin yeah. fucking Durant. Look, and I'm appreciative that he's a Brooklyn. And let me tell you, because even when we look like shit this year, I would tell my brother, because my brother's like the only net fan I fucking know in person. Um, <clears throat> I was telling him because he was really frustrated. I was like, look, I understand that this season might not go as we want, but we still have one of the greatest on our team. Let's at least take advantage and enjoy that he's here. Because when are, when do you expect the Brooklyn Nets to get an all-time great again? Like, it could happen, obviously, but I've been a fan long enough to know that it's not going to – it doesn't come around that easily. Like an how does that, how does that happen, Daniel? How do we get more superstars? By winning championships. If Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving have bounced this offseason, it resets the Nets back three to four oh. years because nobody wants to come here. The fact Correct. that they, they, they're still here and they have a chance to win a title here – I'm not saying it's a great chance right now, but they have an opportunity. If they can do, if you're able to win championships, look at the Raptors. Look a few years ago, they got Kawhi, they won the championship. And like now we know who Pascal Siakam is. Now we know who Fred Van Vliet are because these guys are champions. And guess what? Eventually someone's going to want to go to Toronto and do the same thing that Kawhi did. I agree. I, my fear was that if KD got traded away, not forever, right? Because money talks. And eventually we can sign somebody just based off of a salary, a contract offer. But it would have been 
a, a big black mark on the franchise to have KD and Kyrie, all the hype, everything that came around, even when James Harden joined, and to have it just fall apart the way it did, for it to end the way it did, it would have been an absolute disaster for the franchise as a whole. And I think we would have had a few years before we could even consider rebuilding because I think we would have had we would have had some contracts come back in the KD trade that maybe didn't work out for us. Um, some players that we hoped would make it, but they really wouldn't carry a team to it. Like I think we would have been in a really bad spot. Um, so I'm glad that he didn't go. And I'm glad that you brought that up because during the summer, I didn't think he was going to leave. The only time that I, I was like, oh, shit, he might leave is when they were bringing up Boston with Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. I was like, damn, that, that trade doesn't actually sound that bad. That was the only time that I finally thought that might happen. But I kept telling everybody that this reminded me of 2007. Now, I don't know if you remember this magazine cover. Uh, let's see what I got. Do you remember this magazine cover right here? I was 14, so I don't think I did. Okay. This was Kobe Bryant. He was on the cover of Slam Magazine in 2007. And they put him in a USA jersey with the USA flag because they didn't know if he was still going to be a Laker. Right. I, I know. I know what you're So he, he went back to the Lakers. He ended up winning two championships. Exactly. So because they weren't sure, he requested the trade. They said, sorry, we can't trade you. He had to bite his tongue, come back. And because the Lakers were like, you know, this, shit, this guy's really fucking unhappy. Let's figure this shit out. They ended up giving him Paul Gasol right before the trade deadline. They ended up going to three NBA finals in a row, ended up winning two championships. I'm sorry, but I'm comparing 2007 Kobe to 2020 KD. He came, he asked for his trade, he didn't get it, he bit his tongue, he didn't look very happy at the be in the media day, he didn't look very happy in the beginning of the season, but he's looking like he's getting a little happier. Go ahead and get him some help right before the trade deadline. See where this team can go. Maybe we have three NBA Finals appearances coming up. Maybe we have two NBA titles coming up. Like, I see the comparison, and I get a little excited because the last time I saw something like this, because there's not many times that an absolute all-time great requests a trade and doesn't get it. But it's happened twice. Now, we know how one of them finished. I don't know about the other one. Oh, wow. What do you, That's, what do you, what do you think? For, uh, I don't know. Is this, is this just a – is this an audio podcast too? Yes. Okay, because uh, Daniel's showing me a picture of Kevin Durant with a USA flag – just like the Kobe shot in 07. Um, look, this is exactly I got, what... I have to admit, yeah. though, I, I photoshopped this. As you can see on the left side, it says they still suck, you know? I love so, it. Uh... I love it. Brooklyn <laughs> runs it back. Um, this should be a storybook ending, man. I mean, for all Nets fans, right? Like, you, the name of your Twitter account is Battered Nets Fans because yes, Nets sir. fans have been beat up for the last 20 years. Ever since mm -hmm. those J-Kid years where he gave us that hope that we can be a contender... It's been, what, like 19, 20 long years since the 2002-2003 finals appearance. That's the last mm -hmm. time we tasted any success. And guess what? We got our fucking doors blown off by the Lakers, and then we lost in six to the Spurs. So it would be an amazing storybook ending for Kevin Durant, for Kyrie Irving, for Ben Simmons, Nick Claxton, for this entire team to come together and I still think Marks makes a move. I, I don't know what for, but I, I got to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's gotten this far with this team. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just I, – I can see it happening, but at the same time, I still need to see us 
be as cohesive as the Boston Celtics. I still need to see us be as tough as the Milwaukee Bucks. That's what I need to see before I can truly be bought in and say, Daniel, these Brooklyn Nets are NBA Finals bound, and they're going to win it. But you need time for that. That you can't. Like that you, you do. Time. You do. You do. It does, and that's why I'm not gung ho about them winning it all right now. Like a lot of, I, mean, I don't even think a lot of people are. I think most Nets fans are pretty realistic. But uh, you're absolutely right. I just, I, I, I need to see more before I can, I can get real excited. Look, for example, that Boston game when we took them to the fourth quarter, and again they ran away with it. Like I can't argue that they, they're obviously the better team right now. But we held tight with them. They're the best team in the league right now. And we held our own up until those, those turnovers turned everything upside down. But if that's the best that the league has to offer, and we're just getting rolling now, we didn't have Ben Simmons that game. I'm sorry, but I feel good. I feel good. We're on a roll. I understand that the teams that we've been beating haven't necessarily been great. But you know what's happening during those victories? We're building cohesion. Oh, did I say, did I say that right? I think it's cohesion, but cohesion, cohesion thank works. You. Woof. I like that. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. So we're, we're, we're building chemistry, right? And we're building. And I think that um, we're going to be around February. We're going to know where this team is more or less where it stands as far as the East goes and what we really need in the trade deadline. I don't think we're going to see anything happen until mid-February. Like, I think like people that are expecting something in the next, December, January, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to ride this out to see where this team is, what the once we built that chemistry and we really get things going, let's really see where we're lacking so we can address that at the trade deadline. And the buyout market, you know, Sean Marks loves that buyout market. He might get somebody there also. So I think that this team's going to stay pretty much as it is up until the trade deadline, all-star break, give or take. And I, I think that with all this time that we're going to go ahead and, and keep building chemistry throughout these games where we're beating up on these soft teams, like everybody's saying, that's fine. But you need to play together. You need to play games that count together to build that chemistry, right? You don't just build it just when you play the Milwaukee Bucks. You beat it as you play NBA games. It's a long season. Right. So give them the whole season. And I feel pretty good if we can make it to the playoffs at a decent seed about making a run. Maybe not. Maybe we won't make it to the NBA Finals. Maybe we won't even make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. But I think we could win a playoff game, unlike last year. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a pretty low bar that, uh, <laughs> that you want to jump. Um, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. You like the chemistry and the cohesion they're built in these games that you should win (laughs) in these games that we should win. Um, totally agree with you there. What before I I just had one guy, you know, that that we beat Washington the other day, right? Washington's Mm -hmm. interesting. Washington has a lot of players that I think would be great with contenders. Porzingis, uh, Denis Avjada would be great. Um, Kuzma's obviously a former champion, but I, if we Daniel Gafford as a backup center, I think it would be awesome. I've heard of that name tossed around a lot, but do you think? That- and I don't. I think we can get him for for not a lot. You know, we. I don't know. I'd I'd, I'd like to get. I'd like to get a young guy like that who is a little bit more established than Dayron Sharp. He how how long? I thought he was younger. <coughs> so <coughs> so he's been in the league four years. Oh no, three years. Oh no, he's just been moved around a lot. He was in Chicago, then Washington for three years. Um, is he even up? Like, is Washington shopping him though? Because that's the thing. I don't know. Yeah, because <laughs> that's the thing. When we start looking for players, we're like, you know what? I like this guy, and it's it's like, 
Well, I mean, I don't think that they want to give him up. <laughs> no, I, you, you might be right. I just, I know, I know he's their backup center right now. Who they? They're but playing, you know what? It's uh, funny because yeah. I have heard people say that. I've heard that name come up in people's trade scenarios. They're like, "Well, Daniel Gafford would be perfect for us in the backup role." Um, I, I agree. I, I think I'm looking at his numbers right now. This looks like somebody that would help us out a lot, especially since he's doing all this production in 13 minutes. Do, do I? Do I know if the Washington Wizards are shopping him? Absolutely not. Would I like him on our roster? Fuck yeah. <laughs> well, um, the way the seedings are going right now. Yeah. I think there's a real possibility that we end up against Philly in round one. Is there another team that you would want to play more than Philly in the first round? I don't think so. Um, there's a lot of personal history between us and them, right? Think about KD and Embiid, John back and forth. Oh, Kevin so Durant awesome. told them to to go the fuck home the first time, and B yes. basically said the same shit when they beat us. Yeah, Ben Simmons, James Harden, revenge oh. games. Um, oh, Seth Curry, revenge game. There's, I'm getting excited to think about it. <laughs> there's definitely a lot of bad blood between us, and it made that loss when they had nobody earlier in the year. That sucked. That was a game mm-hmm. that we should have won. That was um, horrible. I wouldn't hate that matchup. It would be a chance for Nick Claxton to really uh, make a name for himself across the league if he if he's able to slow down a Joel Embiid, if he's able to go toe-for-toe with a guy like that. Um, I would love to stick it in James Harden's face and say, hey, you left this to go play there. That's great. We're going to kick your ass anyway. Like That would just make me cry of happiness if, if, if that happens. Uh, the one wild card for me, I think Tyrese Maxey is an absolute stud. And I don't think, I think that James really Harden's have... holding him back, though. Yeah, I don't think we have an answer for Maxi. We don't have a guy who can do what Tyrese Maxi does. I mean, Kyrie Irving's obviously great, but I think I think him and Harden kind of cancel each other out. KD and and Embiid cancel each other out. I think Maxi at the, right now, when they're both healthy, is probably better than Ben Simmons. Um, but that could change. Like, like but that's what Ben, ben Simmons ben... proves his worth by by locking him down. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot there. Um, I I think you're right though. I think that you look at them, you look at Cleveland. Those are two teams that we can absolutely face in the first round if if things continue the way they're going. Um, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> we're we're winding down here. Just real quick. Um, Do you think having the number one or two seed is almost a necessity for this team? I don't. I, okay. I, I, I mean, what were the Celtics last year? The Celtics were the two seed. Celtics were the two seed. And the year before, what were the Warriors last year? Were they the three? The Warriors, I'm not sure. I'll check right now. But, I know um, they were one. Um, I, okay, I, I don't think it's imperative to get a one or two seed. I think this Nets team is just as good on the road as they are at home. Um, and I don't have any statistics to back that up, but I know last Warriors season, were third seed. Warriors were, were a three seed, right? So, mm-hmm. okay, give me, give me a top four seed, right? Like, I think the worst the Nets can do is four. Um, but no, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know why. I just, I have a feeling that, like, look, I love Barkley Center, I love the home. You know, I love going there. I think the fans are great. Is it, is it like going to MSG? Is it like going to the Staples Arena? It's not. You know, it's just not the same home court advantage. We're loud. We're not that loud, right? right. So, I, I, I think it helps, but I don't necessarily think we need home court advantage throughout the playoffs. 
I don't think um, the two or three seed really makes a difference. I think ending up with the one seed would be the one thing I would want. Like, if we can't get the one seed, I don't care where we're, we're slotted. I really don't. Okay. But the reason I, I think the one seed is so important, we ended up with the two seed two years ago when we lost to Milwaukee. We ended up playing against Milwaukee in the second round. If we would have ended up with the first seed, we would have ended up, what, playing against the Hawks in the second round and then Milwaukee in the in these Conference Finals. Last year, ended up in the seventh seed, ended up playing against Boston. I live in Miami. I never took Miami Heat seriously last year. They ended up as the number one seed. They ended up playing against, I think it was Atlanta the first uh, round, against a beat-up Philly team the second round, and almost beat the Boston Celtics in the, in the seven-game series in the third round. The reason I want the one seed is because it makes the road that much easier. It really does. I mean, we ended up playing against Boston and Milwaukee in the first and second round. I understand Boston wasn't where they are now, but still, they had Jason Tatum and Jaden Brown. Like, that's dangerous. And then you had Milwaukee in the second round when you should have been playing them in the Eastern Conference Finals if you would have ended up with that one seed. Last year, again, like, I think I want the number one seed. Now, I understand that Boston's kicking ass right now, so the chances of getting that number one seed are very slim. But that's what I want. If we don't end up with the number one seed, no, I don't care where the hell we end up. But if we have a chance to get that number one seed, that's what I want. I want the number one seed. Did you catch that Boston Lakers game the other night, the one that went in overtime? Yeah, where they won uh, the game-winning shot, right? Yeah, well, it wasn't uh, – Tatum had the game-tying shot. No, he had the game-tying shot in regulation. And then they the absolutely overtime. just blew him right out of the water him. in yeah. overtime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Celtics are a very well-put-together team. And, yeah. and they've been doing – all this without Robert Williams. He hasn't played at all this season. Um, so they got, you know, former Brooklyn net Blake Griffin. They have uh, what, what, what's, what's their center's Blake. name? No, he's what's the, the Celtic center's name. He's the goofy, tall, tall guy. Um, the goofy, no, tall not guy? the Nilo Gallinari. Yeah. Uh, Luke Cornette. Luke Cornette, oh, former. Nick. Yeah. The former Nick. Yeah. So my point is you're playing guys like Blake Griffin and Luke Cornett, and you're still <laughs> d- just demolishing teams. Let me tell you something. Tatum, I yeah. hate Grant Williams. I hate his face. He's good. I hate Grant he's, Williams' face. He's a good player. He Listen, he is, your, he is your essential role player that you need on a championship team. Tough defender, hits open threes, does what is asked of him, plays hard. That's all you can expect from a guy like Grant Williams. Now they added guys like Malcolm Brogdon, Gallinari when he gets back. You still have Derek White. You still have Marcus Smart. I don't understand how they ended up with Malcolm Brogdon. Like, Malcolm Brogdon was so underrated. How the fuck did they end up with him? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, but, I hate uh, Grant Williams' face. I hate Derek White's face. I, I, hate, I hate that team. I hate their faces. I, I know. I know. And, and, they, and they swept us last year. So we got to hate them. It's, it's part of the game. We should have got that game. That first game. I'm not even going to get into that. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, to, to put a bow on this, I usually ask every guest at the very end of the episode, your favorite net player of all time and your favorite Nets memory of all time. Wow, those are two great questions. Um, so for as a player, it was Jason Kidd. Okay. I, I crafted my game around him growing up. I was a pass-first player. Uh, Me too. At this, point, at, at this point in my life, I like to shoot a little bit more. Then I, then I like the pass. I think I kind of grew out of that, like after after college. 
Um, but watching, you know, what he did for that franchise, like I, I had season tickets with my dad. I, I fell in love with the sport of basketball because of Jason Kidd. He was robbed um, of the MVP that year. He was. And and I think when it comes to the best point guards of all time, like I think he's top three. I think I think after Magic and Isaiah and probably Steph at this point, you can put Jay Kidd in my opinion, right up there next to Steve Nash, right up there next to Gary Payton. Um, he is, he, okay, maybe not a top three, but he's a top five point guard of all time, in my opinion. Uh, and my favorite, and then, so from a player standpoint, it's Kid. From a person standpoint, it's Richard Jefferson. And I, I think I've probably, you know, I probably share the same favorite net from a personality standpoint as every single person. I mean, how can you not love RJ? His, his, broadcasting career has been amazing. He's, he's a great podcaster. He just seems like an overall great dude. And you asked me my, my greatest memory as a Nets fan, we went to a media day when I was about 13 or 14. I've told this story a million times on Fireside Nets, uh, which is my Nets podcast. Um, I was probably, you know, 14, 15. My brother was 12, 13. And uh, all the Nets players wanted nothing to do with us. Like everybody was just taking pictures. It was a, season ticket holder event. There were only a few of us, but nobody even looked at us. Richard Jefferson runs across the court, gives us all hugs, shakes all our hands, takes pictures with us, signs balls for us, basketballs, of course. And, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, like that's a kind of memory that I just never forgot. And the funny thing is the same basketball he signed, I went to uh, a Vince Carter signing that next year at 04 with my dad. And I gave Carter the, the same ball that Jefferson had signed. And Vince Carter looked at it, looked at it, you know, whoever was next to him and started laughing. Like, what, you already giving me a ball that's signed? Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm giving you your teammates <laughs> ball, man. That, that's going to be your guy for the next few years. So, yeah, yeah Richard Jefferson gave me my best basketball moment. It's my favorite net from a personality standpoint, but from a player standpoint, it's Jason Kidd. How awesome would it have been if Vince Carter, we got him a year earlier? Yeah, I, you know, it's it sucks that he never uh, – him and Kid never went to the finals together. I, I, yeah. I always think about that. You know, how could we get a top five, top ten player in the league at the time and not exceed expectations that capitalized. or not get to where we were? Yeah. Um, did, did he – how long – did he get to play with Kenyon Martin at all? No. Uh, no oof, that's a good question. Maybe I one year? Remember. Yeah, maybe – yeah, I would look that up. I don't know if – I don't know if Kmart was out. I, I think Kmart might have been out in 04, 05. I don't think they could pay both those guys. I could be wrong. Um, The one thing I did want to add about Richard Jefferson, I posted a video on TikTok a few few months ago, maybe a year ago, of me just shooting hoops, and I tagged Richard Jefferson, and I said, what do you think of my jump shot? And uh, he responded, and he was like, I I forgot what he said, but he's like, like, looks good. Or he he said he commented on my video. So the fact that, you know, Richard Jefferson is commenting on me playing basketball, like – I, I can I can die tomorrow and I'd be happy. You know, I'm not that's the kind of. Yeah. I was surprised because Richard Jefferson seems like the type that always has a sarcastic, funny joke. So I really thought that he was you were gonna say that he like just said some really smart ass answer to you. He, you know what he said? He said, "I see you." That's what he said. And I'm like, "You're goddamn right, you see me, Richard, because I'm a walking <laughs> bucket." Uh, Kenyon Martin did not get to play with Vince Carter. Yeah, I, I, I that's that was the difference because he was gone. Carter was there. Um, but they just never went back to the finals. Yeah, that's that's, that's rough. Um, well, again, I appreciate you joining me. Um, yeah, you, uh, go ahead, plug your podcast. 
Yeah, uh, so I've been hosting Fireside Nets with Sped and Nick with my brother Nick Shanman for uh, about two years now. We're on episode 133, um, which will be coming out next week. Uh, you know, we, we break down the games. We have a lot of fun with it. My brother's in the entertainment industry, so we talk a lot about his uh, his movies, his shows, what he's doing. He, he's he's done stand-up comedy before, so it's a very lighthearted, fun Nets podcast brought to you by Empire Sports Media. Um, you can check us out on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, we're also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can find us anywhere. And his brother really likes Croatia for some reason, so... Yeah, yeah, my brother's a weird kid. He likes a lot of things. <laughs> I, I give him a lot of shit on the podcast. I've looked at my stats, I, I and on Apple Podcasts, I don't have anybody listening from Croatia, but just in case you're in the States and you're a Croatian background, Fireside, definitely a place that you want to be. For sure, yeah. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's been a, it's been yeah. a blast being on the show. Oh, man, I, again, I appreciate your time, and thank you guys for listening and watching, depending if you're listening or watching on YouTube, episode number 10 of the Battered Nets Fans podcast, and I will catch you guys again next week. Thanks for listening.